called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag... After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hired man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the Colossian, I think on the, uh, the small Bible it's 819. And on the large one is 1829. Colossians 1, 9-14 For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live in a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Um, just uh, before we get started, just a couple of quick. There are a couple of quick announcements I wanted to make. Uh, one is that some of you, those who are on the interweb, will uh, have received a copy, a latest copy of the uh, contact list for the church. 
if you don't like using computers, but you still like to be able to contact people, there is there are about 10 copies of the contact list, hard copies at the back. So if you'd like to grab one on your way out, please take that uh, and use, make, make the most of that. Um, kind of connected with that, uh, one of the things that Parish Council has been uh, talking about recently, because uh, it's relatively big in our, um, in our culture, is the whole idea of privacy. And it's an appropriate time with the contact list coming out uh, to let you know that as a council we've we've passed a new privacy policy. We don't have to do this, but I think it's important um, that we you know assure people that we don't use people's um, details that we get for anything else. Uh, so if you want to see, read the privacy policy, it's riveting reading. Um, I, I can't tell you what it is though. I've got to keep it secret. Um, but it's, it's actually on the the board at the back. So if you want to read that, please do. That would be good. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll look at God's words again. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, sometimes when we read it, it's hard to understand. Sometimes it's all too easy to understand. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we approach a passage that's quite familiar to us, that you would help us to understand it. Help me to speak truly and clearly. And Father, we pray that you would uh, challenge us and move us this morning so that we might be the people you want us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if anybody knows who this guy is. Robert Baden-Powell is his name. Um, Mark knows, obviously. Knows who it is. Two, is it? I don't know. I was never a scout. Uh, Robert Baden-Powell. <laughs> give, give myself away there. Uh, Robert Baden-Powell was the person who, uh, who formed the scouting movement uh, in about 1907, 1908. It actually begun in 1908. 1907, um, he... Uh, there is the scouting movement. Uh, in 1907, he uh, designed or he, he came up with the, the motto for the scouting movement. Does anyone remember what that... Does anyone know what that is? Be prepared. Be prepared. Exactly. You guys obviously had thought about this beforehand. Um, be prepared. Uh, it, it came out of his uh, time in the... Uh, in the South African War, that uh, he was quite a famous figure at that time, uh, and uh, he wanted to take some of the things he learnt from his time in the army and to apply it to the life of the uh, of uh, boys and girls uh, in in civilian life. And this is what he said: He wrote, "Scouts should be pre um, should prepare themselves to become productive citizens and strong leaders, and to bring joy to other people." Each scout should be ready in mind and body and to meet with a strong heart whatever challenges await him. It's pretty good advice, isn't it, to be prepared. When you think about your life, it wouldn't be a bad motto to carry through your life to be prepared. I mean, think about the, the things in your life that you need to be prepared for. When you're younger, uh, I think Gus is the only one here who has to worry about this anymore, but you need to be prepared for exams. When you're a student, you need to make sure that you're prepared when exams coming along. When you leave school and you have to go searching for a job, one of the things you need to be prepared for are job interviews. You need to uh, investigate what the company's about and all those kinds of things. You need to have a resume and all those kinds of, uh, those kind of activities. You need to be ready for an interview. Once you actually get a job, uh, you then need to be prepared for if you have to do a presentation. Maybe you're uh, as a teacher, you need to be prepared for your lessons. Uh, maybe you're in business and you've got to do a presentation. You might have to travel overseas to lecture. Um, people might come to listen to you. It's important to be prepared for those things. But it's not just uh, work things that you need to be prepared for. Uh, when you meet, meet that special someone and you decide to get married, it's important to, get, uh, to be prepared. You need lots of flowers, obviously. Um, <laughs> Very subtle, uh, what they do in the flowers for that particular wedding. Um, you need to, yeah, so you need to make sure that the 
um, the reception's booked and you've prepared your speech and you've got all the music and all those kinds of things set up, all the invitations out in time, those kinds of things. Um, also, uh, as time goes by, you might have ch- children coming along and before a child comes, you need to get prepared, don't you? You need to prepare a nursery or you might want to buy yourself a cot or you know, a chair, to, uh, uh, you know, one of the new capsule things to carry the kids home in. You need to be pre- prepared. You need to be ready. And as you get older, of course, uh, you need to be prepared. If you want to go on a holiday, you, you don't just sort of wake up in the morning of the holiday and just walk out the door. You've got to make sure you've got um, your passport, it's in date, and you've got visas and all those kind of things, um, he says from winter experience. Um, you need to make sure that you're packed in time, ready to go, uh, and you, you've had all your shots, that kind of thing. But then as you get older, um, as you're thinking about retirement, you need to think about, be prepared for retirement, don't you? You need to make sure that you've got enough money to be able to do the things you want to do, to be able to um, travel if that's what you want to do, or to be able to just uh, live from day to day. You need to have some kind of income stream. It's important to be prepared. If you can have an operation, for instance, you need to be prepared for that, if that were the case. Um, it's important to be prepared. In today's passage, uh, Jesus and the passages that surround it, Jesus tells us we need to be prepared spiritually as well as all these other ways. But we'll get to that in a minute. You may have noticed that the, uh, the Bible passage, we're looking at Matthew chapter 25. How about you turn it up if you haven't got it already? Uh, Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. You'll notice that the first word, what's the first word of this passage? Again, which is a strange way to, to, start, to start again. When he says again, what does that suggest? So he's talking about something that's happened before. And so really to understand what this passage is about, we need to look back uh, at the context of this passage. And so this passage actually comes as part of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples right back from chapter 24, verse 3. Um, they are on the Mount of Olives, so they're outside of uh, Jerusalem. And uh, it starts off talking about the temple. And uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the temple. And uh, in chapter 24, he tells that, says that the temple is going to be torn down. But in, the converse, in chapter 24, it's a bit of a strange passage because he's talking about the temple. And then intermixed with that, he starts talking about um, his own coming death. But then intermixed with that, he starts talking. It sounds like he's talking about his return. Uh, and at the end of that, that passage, we're talking about the temple, he, he gives a little bit of a parable. Um, where he talks about some servants, um, and who, some servants whose master goes away, and he says, "For the servants in in verse forty six, when the master goes away and comes back, he says, how good it will be for the servant whose master finds him doing what he's left him been left to do when he returns." So, in other words, the master is going away, and he gives his servants a job, and he says, when he comes back. He wants to find them doing the right thing. It's like when a teacher goes out of the room um, and you, you say to your kids, um, right, guys, I'm, I'm going to be a couple of minutes, just going to the, the staff room, I'm going to go and grab something. I want you to start exercise 36B because that's what mathematician, mathematics teachers do. Uh, and I want you to do the first five questions. And when I come back, I want to find you doing what I've asked you to do. And that's what the master does. He goes off, he says, I want to go, I'm going to go off, leave you with some, a job to do. And when he comes back, I want, you, I want to find you doing what, I, what I've asked you to do. But, he says, for those who don't do that, they will be thrown out to a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, They'll be cut to pieces and assigned a place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a a drastic kind of picture. The master is going away. 
It's coming back and there's going to be some kind of judgment. For those who are doing the right thing, there will be blessing. For those who aren't, there will be world judgment. Turn to chapter 25 and you get a similar kind of picture. You get the first, in the first 13 verses, we get a story about some bridesmaids who are waiting uh, for a bridegroom to come. They've been waiting for some time. Five of them are ready for the bridegroom to come when he returns. Five of them aren't. They hear he's about to come and so they have to rush off and get some things. The bridegroom returns and the five who are ready, this is what he says to them. Well, he says that we're told that they went in with him to the wedding banquet in verse 10. Uh, They're ready. And so they're brought into the banquet. But when the the other bridesmaids uh, come back, they come to the door and they, they hear these shocking, these chilling words. I don't know you. I don't know you. And so we've got this picture of them waiting for someone to come. And some of them, because they've been doing the right thing, are ready and they, they come in and enjoy the blessing. Some of them who aren't ready, well, they're excluded. If you turn to the passage just after this one, the second half of chapter 25, from verse 31 to 46, we get, it becomes a little bit more explicit. It talks about the Son of Man coming. Jesus is talking about himself, talking about his own return. Jesus is coming back and he says, when he does, there's going to be a judgment. The same kind of idea. And so to some, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance that has been prepared for you. Jesus says to some, Come and enjoy the blessings of my Father. Uh, but to others, to those who haven't lived a life that, uh, that he's been looking for, he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed. And so in each of these stories, we've got this picture of, of waiting for someone to come, And when he comes, there's going to be a separation. Those who are ready, those who are prepared, will will receive the reward. And those who aren't ready, those who aren't prepared, uh, will receive judgment. Now, in each of these stories, it's pretty clear who the the person coming is. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is talking about his own coming. Uh, And the impact is the impact of those people who are ready for him when he returns. So if that's what the stories are before, and if that's what the story is after, talking about Jesus' return, well, it's a pretty safe bet that the story we're looking at today has the same kind of message. So let's turn to the passage, uh, to chapter 25, verse 14. Um, and it's one of those passages, it's actually really hard to preach on because it's, uh, it's one of those parables that everybody knows. Everybody knows this parable, don't you? Um, the parable of the talents. Um, the master. Let's, let's, let's flick through the story really quickly. We're, we're here at the beginning in verse 14 and 15. The master goes away and gives his servants some bags of money. Now, if you, if you look at the little footnote, the, the base of the, the black Bibles you've got in there, it gives you a bit of an idea. Uh, it talks about talents, five talents, two talents, one talent. But a talent, he says, is worth 20 years of a day labourer's wages, which is quite a bit. 20 years' wages is a lot, even for somebody who's on the... Uh, the bottom of the, uh, the economic rung, if you like, 20 years' wages is quite a lot. And so one of the servants is giving five lots of that. So 100 years' wages. One of them gets two lots, so 40 years' wages. And even the one who gets the least gets a, gets a, a large swag of money. So the, the master goes away, he says, it gives you this money to, to, to work with, to use. Now, we know how the story goes. The first two 
uh, workers take that money and they invest it. I don't know how, we're not told how they invest it, whether they, they start up a company, whether they start up a business or whatever it is, but in the time uh, that, that they're given, uh, they manage to double the amount of money. So instead of having 100 years, they've got 200 years worth of wages. It's a huge amount of money that, they've got, that the, the one, one of them's got. The second one, uh, he does the same thing and he doubles his money. Great return for investment, isn't it? Wouldn't that be amazing to be able to invest something and know that it's going to double in, in, in value? The third servant, though, we realize, when you read it, you kind of go, this is, that's not a good idea. What does he do? He takes his money and he buries it. Would have been, had to be a pretty big hole because it's quite a big stash of money. Um, he digs, digs a hole in his backyard. He buries the money. You know that's not right. The others have put it to, put it to good use, but he, well, he's just hiding it away. Nothing good can come of that, surely. But we'll see what happens. Uh, the master returns in verse 19, um, and he starts to settle his accounts for his servants. He brings the, the first two servants in, uh, and he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. That beautiful phrase, he sees that they've done really well. They've taken the money he's given them. They've been wise investors. They've worked hard, uh, and they've come back with a good return. And he's really impressed with him, pats them on the back, says, well done, good job. But then the third servant comes, and we know as he comes up, before we even read it, we know that this isn't going to end well. But he comes up, and the thing that's, that's most shocking, I think, uh, in this story is what the servant says to his master. It's bad enough that he's taken the master's money and done nothing with it. I mean, that's bad enough. But listen to what he says. Master, I know... Uh, sorry, I've, I've lost the verse. It's gone. Um, Master said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. When you read those words, what do you think about? How does the, the, how does the servant feel about his master? He's scared of him? Yep. Anything else? He's really the yeah, he's very critical, isn't he? He's very and very judgmental of his master. Like, I know you're a hard man. I know you love ripping people off. You know, somebody plants a, a field with things and you go and harvest it for yourself. He's accusing his master, his master of actually being a crook. So it's, he's not just lazy, this servant. He's actually uh, rebellious. He's actually said to his master, I don't trust you, I'm afraid of you, and I, I think you're, you're unworthy of my, of my attention. And so the fact that he did, didn't do something, it's not just, he's not just, he doesn't just get in trouble for that, he gets in trouble because of his attitude towards his master. And he certainly does get in trouble, doesn't he? When the master sees it, uh, hears what he says, he's indignant. And he says, so you think I'm like that, do you? Is that what you think of me? Well, if that's what you really thought of me, you should have at least have done something with it. You should have at least invested it in the bank and you got you know 0.045% um, interest or whatever the interest rate is at the moment. But no, you were so, your attitude to me was so, so bad that you went and hid it. You wouldn't even put it in the bank for me. 
He went and hid it away. And so this man is thrown out into the darkness. And again, we hear those same words, thrown into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, just like the servants in chapter 24. In the same way, same way these other parables have had this, somebody's going away, somebody comes back, and then there's a judgment. That's what we're seeing here. So what do we do with this parable? Well, it seems to me it's actually it's one of those, oh, this is what he said, um, He's thrown off uh, where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so what do we do with this? I actually think it's a really great parable. Although it's a little bit hard because we know it so well, it's actually very... There's two things I want to get out of the parable, just two things. I know there should be three, but there's only two that I want to bring out. One is an encouragement and one is a warning. The first encouragement is to realise Jesus is a... The person... There's no, you don't have to be Einstein to, see, to think who the master is in this story, do you? Who is it? It's Jesus, of course. Jesus talking about himself. He's about to go away. This is chapter 25. You'll be surprised to know that after Matthew chapter 25 comes Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Who'd have thought that? Uh, In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is arrested. Jesus is beaten. Jesus is flogged. He's falsely tried and he's hung on a Roman cross. Jesus goes away from his disciples. Uh, this parable is taught, Jesus knows that this is about to happen, which is why he's sitting down with his disciples and letting them know that he's going to go away, but that he's going to come back. We know, of course, that he comes back um, three days later, comes back to life, but then he goes, goes away again. And for, for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, it can be hard, can't it? I mean, have you ever thought, I really wish Jesus was here? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here to you know, tell me what to do, to help me when I'm in, tr- in trouble? When it, like I could, just, I could just call him up, I could just FaceTime him or something like that. Uh, or, or he could come around for dinner and we could just chat about my plans and, you know, and he can guide me and give me directions. Wouldn't that be great to have Jesus right there? Jesus isn't here. And there are many in our world today who, uh, who don't believe that Jesus is coming back. But one of the encouragements of this parable is a reminder to us that yes jesus is indeed coming back that although he is away he's just like the master or or the bridegroom he's just off and he will return one day it's been a while it's been a long time sure jesus actually said to his disciples it's going to be a long time he was warning them but they need to be ready so jesus will return one day and just like he the the master gave his servants um, some, some, a blessing, resources, things to, and a job to do, that's what he's done for us. I mean, think for a moment about all of the things that God has given you. Can anybody think of anything that God has given you? Can anybody think of any of the blessings? Jesus will return. What, can anybody think of any of the blessings that God has given us? Born in Australia. Born in Australia. So the country we live in, the freedom that we have, yeah? Family? Yeah. Uh, Florence is pointing at Peter. Peter's pointing at Florence. Isn't that beautiful? Cute. Uh, he's given us marriages, hasn't he? He's given us family. Um, I thought of a few things. Uh, he's given us homes to live in. He's given us jobs to do. He's given us money to spend. He's given us food to eat. He's given us clothes on our back. He's given us uh, the health that we have. He's given us holidays. He's given us cars. He's given us phones. He's given us uh, family. He's given us friends. He's given us an education. He's given us this church. God has given us so many things. That's just a few. Think of all the incredible blessings that God has given you. Just like 
the master lavished upon his servants huge sums. We think, wouldn't it be great to be given that, 100 years worth of wages? But God has given us so much more than that, more than just money. It's easy uh, in our lives, I think, to focus on things that we don't have. But it's important, I think, for us to remember the things that God has indeed given us. But when God gives us those things, he hasn't given them to us just as prizes for us to enjoy for ourselves. It's important for us to enjoy and give thanks to God for the great blessings he's given us. But just as in the story, the master gave his servants these sums of money, not just for their own enjoyment, but to to use. The money that he gave them was his money. It was the master's money. He entrusted it to them so that they might invest it and enlarge the, the master's estate. That's what they were given the money to do. Now, you and I have been given incredible blessings. Why have we been given them? For the exact same reason. God has given us all of these great blessings that we might invest them, that we might invest them wisely for the expansion of his estate, for the extension of his kingdom. I wonder if you look at your life, whether that would be the, you could say that you use those things. Do you use your home for God? Do you use your job for God's glory? What about your money? What about your time, your food, your, your clothes, your health, your energy? What, what do you use? Do you use all parts of your life for him? What a great privilege it is to be able to use these, to have these things to use for God. And wouldn't it be awesome, wouldn't it be amazing when Jesus returns and you see him face to face, he stands in front of you, he looks in the eye and says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that just send chills to hear Jesus say that to you? What a great encouragement it is for us that God has richly blessed us so that we might serve him. We have so many opportunities. Are we using those opportunities? What a great encouragement it is. But of course, the flip side of this encouragement is a great warning. Because yes, Jesus is returning, but when he comes back, there will be a reckoning. And just as when the the third servant came and stood before him, when he betrayed his heart by what he had done, he was thrown into the darkness. He received judgment. So it is true for us. You see, the servant, it wasn't just that he was lazy that he got in trouble. It was the problem of his heart. And when we refuse, when we hold things back from God, it's not just that God is angry because we're lazy, but it actually reveals something about us. In uh, Matthew 7, verse 17, Jesus says, Every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. Think about your life for a moment. Do you think that you are bearing fruit for God? Are you bearing the fruit of good works for God? You see, we, uh, we focus a lot, and rightly so, on God's saving grace. We are saved by God's grace through faith, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. But even at the end of that passage, when when he's talked about the wonders of God's grace, 
He ends it by saying, we, were, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. What a tragedy it would be. What a tragedy it would be to spend your life coming to church, thinking, you know, I'll give God this bit of my life. I've got an hour and a bit on a Sunday morning. God, you can have this. If it goes more than an hour and a half, I'm going to get cranky because the minister's spoken too long. But this is what I can give you, God, and you should be happy with that. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to spend your life thinking of God that way and then for Jesus to come back and say, I never knew you. What an awful, awful thing that would be. And then to be thrown uh, into that place of separation from God and judgment. This is a really great passage. It's, it's a well-known passage. And the problem with well-known passages is it's so easy to miss the message of them. You say, oh, yeah, I know how that goes. Servant one, servant two, servant three. Yep, 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 out, gnashing your teeth. End of, let's go to the next story. But this is a parable about us. Jesus tells this parable to his disciples, to his followers. He wants to warn them. While he's away, the blessings he gives, he wants them to use. And it's a message to us. Are you using your life for God? Not are you spending a bit of time coming to church, maybe going to Bible study, whatever it is during the week. That's good. They're good things to do. Your life. Is it his? Is every waking moment, every breath about him? Or are you saying, God, you can have this bit, but really the rest of it's mine. My life's about me. It's so easy, isn't it, to get caught in that trap? That's what our world does. Heed the warning of this passage. Examine your lives. Examine your hearts. Are you using them for God? I want to finish just by encouraging you. Because as I look around, um, I actually see people who are doing just that. I see fruit hanging from these trees. I see the fruit that, that people are, are bearing in their lives with their generosity of their time, of their, of their money, um, the support for Zambia's child, the, the people who give up a, uh, their time to serve one another with over morning tea and all those kinds of things. I see that kind of fruit. And so I want to encourage you, remind you that it's not to no end, that one day Jesus will return and when he looks at your life, won't it be awesome to see him face to face, for him to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for all the amazing blessings you've given us. We thank you for our salvation, our life, our hope that we have. But we thank you for all the temporal things too. We thank you for our family, uh, our families. We thank you for our homes. Uh, for the money that we have, for the, um, the children that we have, the grandchildren. We thank you for um, the opportunities we have to travel. We thank you for the possessions we have, like computers and phones and cars. Uh, Lord, all of these things, uh, we know they're actually all yours. They belong to you, and you have given them to us. You've entrusted them to us as stewards, as your servants. And so, Father, I pray that you would take and use these things, Help us not to be like this 
the foolish servants at the end who who kept and hid it in his backyard uh, for his own uh, his own benefit. Lord, we pray um, that our hearts of love for you would show themselves in lives of love for you. So, Lord, take and use us, we pray. Bear fruit in us by your Spirit, so that your name might be glorified and your kingdom come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together and say the Apostles' Creed as a statement of our faith and belief. I believe in God, the Father.